Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome into a Sunday Fun Day edition of the Sox on Tap podcast. It's Tony Marchese alongside NWI Steve, who was there in person today to witness the White Sox sweeping the Detroit Tigers. We all know Detroit sucks. That's a fact. It doesn't have to be debated. I think Steve can confirm it right here for me in a second. But before he does that, hop in the YouTube, ONTAP Sportsnet, youtube.com slash ONTAP Sportsnet. Follow the show at Socks on Tap on Twitter. You can follow Steve at NWI underscore Steve, myself at Tony on Tap. Steve, victory beers taste great. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, yo, Anthony. As you know, I am a journalist of the utmost professional integrity. So I reached out to multiple sauces, and it is hashtag confirmed that Detroit sucks always and forever. Beautiful, Stephen. I'm glad you could uh, get us the uh, the confirmation on that. Uh, if you watch White Sox baseball this weekend, you could also see some Detroit suckage for yourself um, just on display all over the field. So we're going to get into this weekend in White Sox baseball. Uh, I already see we've got some comments rolling in. If you uh, are in the YouTube, uh, be sure to drop some comments so we can uh, feature those on the show as it goes. Good to have you back, Sockside Mike. Sockside Mike is in the house. He says, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday sweep day, boys. Had some personal life challenges lately, so I haven't been on. Missed this, boys. Mike, we hope you're doing okay out there. I hope everything uh, gets back to normal for you. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed the the sweep as much as Stephen and I did. Steve, let's start with Friday's ball game. It was a 3-0 victory uh, for the White Sox. We got some RBIs, some runs driven in from some unlikely candidates who don't drive in enough runs. And Tim Anderson, Andrew Benintendi, Eloy joined that party. Uh, it was Mike Clevenger's return to the mound after he was dealing with the uh, the fore- or the wrist uh, inflammation there and uh he looked good five innings just gave up three hits six strikeouts only walked one batter didn't give up any runs in that ball game it was a rather clean win for the White Sox you got any takeaways from uh Friday's affair yeah I mean I think probably the biggest takeaway from that was uh Clevenger's return he did look pretty crisp in his five innings of work there. And I think it probably wasn't the worst thing in the world to limit it to five innings. I saw a little bit of conjecture on uh, twatter.com about it, but I think at the end of the day, it was probably the right thing to do, knowing that it was um, a relatively low scoring game and you you probably didn't want to push the envelope too much with it. Um, You got five quality innings out of him. You know, you were coming off of an off day, so you did have the bullpen well rested there. So I think it made a lot of sense to uh, do it from that standpoint. And you got just enough offense to – be able to put one in the left-hand column. So you like to see that. And, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, commenters here. Listen, my guy, Sal, let me talk to you. We're not we're not ready to say that word. We're not ready to say it. We've got a long way to go. Steve is not ready to say that word. We can discuss, you know, the discourse around all that if we want to later on in the show. I see some other comments that are uh, asking if we're going to talk about <clears> – <throat> Tim Anderson, and yes, we will, Mike. Uh, yes, we will be talking about that play, but we're going to get through the uh, the first few ball games that took place before uh, Sunday's game here. So, anything else you got from from Friday? I thought it was a clean win. I thought it was also interesting that we saw Kendall Graveman 
uh, come in and close that ball game down. Um, any other thoughts on that? You know, the, I mean, the bullpen usage, um, I know you and I were kind of going back and forth through this over text a little bit. And I think particularly with Liam uh, coming into the game as early as he did, you know, I, I think there are still some unknown variables right now. And I, this is one of the things that I think a lot of baseball fans struggle with, myself included. You know, there are certain well, thanks, times. Steve, I believe Saturday was when he came in early. Okay. Saturday was when Liam Hendricks came in early. Okay. Friday, we saw Kendall Graveman and uh, I believe Joe Kelly okay. uh, in there as well. I can go back and double check, but uh, Hendricks was Saturday. Okay. So, you know, I think just right now, Graveman has kind of taken control of, of that ninth inning position there. Um, you know, Pedro Grafol tried installing Ronaldo Lopez in that spot earlier on in the season. It obviously did not work. So Graveman stepped up following that and obviously there's a comfortability there um graveman is a guy that has done that job in the past in his time with the seattle mariners then even um, sparingly with the uh houston assholes i mean astros um you know when when they had some injury issues and things with ryan presley there so he is familiar with the role um and he's done a very solid job with it from that standpoint. So it may just be a thing where right now with Liam Hendricks, look, we're still only six days, you know, removed from his return, uh, coming back off of his cancer diagnosis here. So it could just be a scenario where they are trying to just simply ease him in there. And again, because Graveman has done such a solid job in that particular role right now, they might not want to kind of upset the apple cart a little bit um, from that standpoint there. And, you know, Sal, Sal here again, another very astute point here. Um, my guy, Co Jelly, you know, he's just out there just uh, do, doing what he does. Um, I, I got a lot of thoughts on some of the hijinks he, he was pulling out there today. Um, so we'll, we'll save that for later, though. I was going to ask you about uh, some Joe Kelly stuff. Uh, it was it was beautiful on the broadcast, and and we'll get to that in just a minute. Just to wrap up Friday's ball game, Stephen, uh, you did see Middleton, Lopez, your guy Joe Kelly, and Kendall Graveman each work a clean inning right there. Pretty much, I, I think uh, there was a couple of hits scattered there for Middleton, Lopez, and Kelly, but uh, they were able to get through those uh, fairly effortlessly wasn't really a, a, a scared ball game for a White Sox fan, uh, at least from my perspective on Friday. Uh, Saturday's ball game was a bit wild, Steve, it, for lack of a That's better That's an term, understatement. It was a bit wild. I don't think I've quite seen anything like it. I'm pretty sure most people haven't because it went down in the record books uh, as a one-of-a-kind game here, Steve. Let's talk about this for just a second before we get to uh, today's ball game. We, we we have an interview coming up that's that's going to be released tomorrow, um, and we'll tell you guys more about that later. But the Andy Hawkins game was referenced a couple times, and I know somebody who was there, Stephen. I know somebody who was there. Could you let the listeners know for maybe the the you know fiftieth, sixtieth time who was at that Andy Hawkins game? Well, listen, if you're new to the broadcast, even if you're not new, frankly, I don't care. Fact of the matter is this, I have attended in my life, which encompasses all the part of five different decades, four no-hitters and one perfect game. 
The first such incident took place on June 1st, 1990, when Andy Hawkins of the New York Yankees in the final season of Old Comiskey Park no hit our beloved Chicago White Sox. But due to some defensive dumb fuckery out there by Jim Leyritz and, and a couple other guys, the Sox managed to win a baseball game four to nothing without the benefit of a single hit. That was the precursor to what happened in yesterday's ball game. Um, yesterday, we saw, and, and talking about a one of a kind instance, but the White Sox managed to win a baseball game without the benefit of an RBI. The last time they did that was the Andy Hawkins game in 1990 that yours truly was in attendance for at Old Comiskey Park. There you go, Stephen. This game, to me, watching it, I didn't really have the appreciation for what was going to happen. I don't think many uh, did at the time when the White Sox uh, were able to strike first on some wild pitch offense, Stephen. But I love wild pitch offense. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great that we got the run across. However, there were some opportunities within this game that the White Sox could have broken a few things open. Uh, I believe. Uh, there was a good chance for the White Sox to put some runs on the board in the eighth inning, Stephen, and they failed to do so. Uh, the old runners in scoring position thing sort of came back to uh, fruition here for the White Sox and sort of bit them in the ass. Uh, well, could have uh, had they not won this ball game, but Stephen missed opportunities abound for the White Sox offense yesterday. Unfortunately, that has been one of the recurring themes of this 2023 season um, through the first, what are we at now, 62 games here. Um, you know, this team just has a propensity to not take advantage of opportunities when they are presented with themselves, particularly with those runners in scoring position. And it's extremely frustrating to watch because far too often we will see scenarios where they don't take advantage of those situations and then – the following inning, the opposition, whether they have runners in scoring position or not, finds a way to put one on the scoreboard there. And more oftentimes than not, that that has been um, kind of the undoing of this team here in the early phase of this 2023 season. So we saw it happen in that eighth inning yesterday, and you just kind of have that negativity creeping in the back of your mind like, here we go again, another winnable game that they're going to fuck up and find a way to – give away and continue digging this hole that they find themselves in. Yeah. It got a little bit scary there. Uh, Dylan cease uh, also uh, was a uh, wild pitch uh, offense victim uh, in his start yesterday. And Steve, we had some notes that we wanted to talk about with Dylan cease in particular, a lot of wasted pitches, uh, Cease only able to go five and a third in yesterday's ball game. He used 99 pitches. He did surrender two hits, one run, struck out six. But we want to see some length from Mr. Dylan Cease, don't we, Stephen? Um, you know, length is uh, pretty important. Um, you know, it's it's frustrating and, and it's annoying in the sense that you see the stuff from Dylan Cease. It is top level, but he just gets himself into trouble because he throws far too many pitches and is not able to cover enough outs. I've taken a lot of flack 
for this. I've talked about this a number of times on the show here this year. I can't consider Dylan Cease one of the upper echelon pitchers in this league, despite finishing second in Cy Young Award voting last year, because he does not provide enough innings. You look at the top pitchers in this sport, and you look at the guys that consistently are Hall of Fame caliber pitchers or guys that are consistent all-stars, they are going deep into ballgames. They are pitching seven, eight innings with consistency. Dylan Cease just does not do that enough. I know the strikeout numbers are great. And listen, I love strikeouts as a pitcher. But at the end of the day, when you are a starting pitcher, as the great Hawk Harrelson would say, the best way to protect your bullpen is with your starting rotation. And Dylan Cease, every five days, does not do enough to protect that bullpen. Far too often, he is asking them to go out there and cover 12 to 14 outs. And that's just not going to get the job done, from my perspective there. Um, we see this. In, this I've is a guy of, that I talked about earlier this year, Stephen, as a as a prime regression candidate from you did. For what we witnessed him do last year, which was true masterclass. But I still think that there's a proponent of his game that hasn't been mastered, and that is pitching efficiently enough to have to avoid, like to just avoid trying to strike every single hitter out and, you know, use the defense a little bit. And maybe, maybe if the White Sox defense played better throughout the first portion of this season, you know, you don't know what's going through his head when he's on the mound, but from what I've seen, and it's not just him, there's a couple of other White Sox pitchers who've fallen victim to this. But from what I've seen, it looks like he's trying to strike out every pitcher and he'll get himself into an 0-2 count. And then all of a sudden the count's full or it's 2-2. And then we start, you know, seeing some foul offs. I want him to just attack. attack, and one attack, of the, attack. You know, and one of the issues with it, and this has been one of the hallmarks of Dylan Cease, unfortunately, to this point in his careers, he does not have pinpoint command. So sometimes, you know, he can have the right thought process and have an idea as far as what he wants to do out there to end it at bat quickly, but he just simply can't always execute on it. And again, I think that's where people need to understand that command is one of the big pieces of this equation with being a dominant pitcher. And that's why when Jacob deGrom is, is a prime example, when he was at his peak, in his time with the New York Mets. This is a guy that could go eight, nine innings on 100 pitches, 100, 105, and just saw his way through a lineup because he knew exactly where the baseball was going when it would come out of his hand. You couple that with the overpowering dominant stuff that he had, that's how you get a guy that looked like he was going to be a Hall of Famer before all the injuries started to kick in. Dylan Cease has the stuff. There's no question about it. You can see it out there, but he has not been able to master that command portion of it. And that's what gets him in trouble. And I've coined this term and I've talked about this, the inefficient strikeouts, just what you were alluding to there, Anthony, with the fact that he'll get ahead of a guy, 0-2. Next thing you know, it's 2-2, 3-2. Maybe you get a couple foul balls mixed in there. Yeah, he'll get the strikeout, but if it takes eight pitches to do it, that's how you're only covering 15, 16 outs in an outing. Instead, if you want to be 
a number one top of the rotation upper echelon guy, you got to be covering 21. I talk about 18 outs all the time. If you want to be one of those guys, if you want to be one of the top 10 in this sport, you got to be covering at least 21 with consistency. And Dylan C is not doing that. Needless to say, I don't expect to see him um, with this stuff that we're seeing right now uh, on any Cy Young votes, Stephen. And that's sort of a disappointment, I think. But again, I think that there's uh, there's some reasons for that. We got a comment in from Sydney Brown. Sydney, thanks for tuning in. Cease needs to go deeper in games, 100-plus pitches through four and a half innings. Reminds me of very early Carlos Rodon. Steve, that's a, that's another name that uh, had this issue uh, with the White Sox pitching staff. Um, you know, He's no longer here, but uh, same sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's a very apt comparison right there. And, you know, up until Rodon kind of simplified his delivery and was able to get it a little bit more repeatable at that aspect, um, you know, kind of starting his last year with the Sox and then going on to the San Francisco Giants a year ago, um, that's when he really started to dial things up and get to that next level to the point where he was able to get himself a $160 million contract from the Yankees. Now granted he's been hurt again and hasn't thrown a pitch yet this season for them here, but he cleaned up a lot of things in his delivering in his mechanics to be more efficient in ball games. And that's where Dylan Cease needs to find a way to get to. Another guy in this rotation actually did simplify his delivery. We're going to talk about him in just a little bit. That's Michael Kulpak. Um, But let's finish off. Saturday's ball game here. Uh, Sox take this one into extras. Reynaldo Lopez gets the ball in the 10th inning. I don't know about you, but, you know, shades of like the Garrett Crochet stuff that we used to talk about when I see Reynaldo Lopez get the ball in the 10th inning, Stephen. I'm not exactly comfortable as a White Sox fan uh, seeing Reynaldo Lopez out there in that role. However, Yesterday, he was able to get the job done. Uh, there was some tense moments there, but uh, able to induce two pop-outs and a ground-out to get out of it clean. That's what you need from your pitcher if you're the home team in these 10th innings now with the terrible rule of putting a runner on second base. Thank you, Rob Manfred, for ruining extra innings. However, White Sox were able to strike with their own runner on second base. I believe that was Yohan Mankata who was put out there. He had to change his shoes, Stephen, before he went out on the field for the 10th inning. Do you think the shoe change made a huge difference here for Yohan Mankata? Very important uh, investigation that we're launching. I mean, it's very clear um, that it did play a factor. You know, he switched it up, went to the red shoes. Listen, uh, the National Highway went trend. from red to gold. I thought he changed to red. I believe he went red to gold. We're going to have to pull the tape here. I'm going to pull hmm. the tape while you're talking. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's fascinating because I, I thought he changed it up to to red, um, in which case, you know, that would make a lot of sense because according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration here, uh, red vehicles are the most commonly pulled over because they do have a tendency to speed more frequently than others. So obviously red is a color that can be equated to enhanced speed. So um, I've got know. it rolling here. We're going to see so, if we can get it just, it, he it went to the gold. He went to the gold. He's okay. The gold well, on as well then, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to totally discount that because that doesn't fit my narrative. So um, it was just pure coincidence. Okay. Pure coincidence. Yes. That's, that's fair. Uh, but 
you know, the, the White Sox end up loading the bases for Tim Anderson. Um, and uh, this was the wildest walk-off I've ever seen. You've got a, a pitch, 97 miles an hour, straight to the dome of the home plate umpire, sort of scoots away towards the Tigers' dugout, and Yohan Moncada runs in from third while the Detroit catcher is checking on the home plate umpire. Tim Anderson is sort of just like back, slowly backing out of the way. Jason Benetti on the call and Steve Stone really didn't know what to say in this moment. And that concluded your ball game. White Sox win by a final of two to one. Nobody had an RBI in this game, Steve. Nobody drove in any runs. It was all via the wild pitch, pass ball, what have you. Uh, I have never seen anything like it. And that goes down as the first game in history of its kind, where all those runs were scored uh, on pass balls, wild pitches. And, uh, and as you had alluded to before this, it was the last time the White Sox had won a ball game, I believe, without driving in a single run since the game that you were in attendance for. That was the Andy Hawkins game. It was incredible to witness. You know, our guy, uh, Brian Lefevre, and uh, believe me, we've all got the fever. Let me tell you. Um <laughs> He's right because there were a lot of people out there tweeting that this was the most AL Central way to win a game. It um, was. I, I saw just for the listeners on the podcast version, our guy Brian has a comment here. says, I saw a tweet that said it was the most AL Central way to win a game. That made him chuckle. I think that it's true, though. It is the most AL Central way to win a baseball game, Stephen. I saw... Uh, some other tweets out there comparing the AL Central to uh, the MAC conference in college football. I'm not a big college football guy, but I do understand what that means. Um, the AL Central is something else. It is a different brand of baseball. It, it is a different brand of baseball, largely because the White Sox shit down their leg during the month of April. Let's think about this right now. They're 26 and 35. They're five and a half games out of first, six in the loss column. Remember that 10 game losing streak they had in April, Anthony? Mm -hmm. I do. I don't want to, but I do. You take you take that right there. And if uh, if they would have just gone five and five during that stretch, because I feel pretty confident we could find five games. You win. can. There was about five that were one-run games at portions of, of the ball game and a couple you, that wound up being one-run games in and of themselves. You do that, you go five and five, you're 31 and 30, and you are either tied for first or a half game out. Imagine yeah. how different things would be um, had they been able to do that. Even if you just go, even if you go, even if you go four and six, six, yep, and and you're two you're, games under, you're two games under five hundred at that point. It's a lot more palatable than the position that they are in right now. Um, you're still doom and gloom, then. You're still doom and gloom. Uh, they're nine games under. Yeah, they're they're well, they've under. done some. They've done some work to get to nine games under. They, the job is not done by any stretch. The of problem, the frustration for me comes in. You think about a month ago. We all talked about the schedule. Let's let's save this conversation for after the Jake Berger. Uh, it, no, it, 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 we've got to get through here. Okay, okay. 
We can save it. I want to know. I want to know more about why you're frustrated and, and, and more outlook. But let's get through. Let's get through today's ball game first, real quick, Steve, because uh, there's a couple things we want to get to in this, and I think we've got plenty of time to talk about where both you and I collectively feel this team is at, and that's how we can sort of wrap this show up. So I want to. I want to move ahead just a little bit here into today's ball game. You were in attendance for it. It was a beautiful day for baseball. The, the heat sort of it died was. down a little bit today, Stevens. It was a very. You might tie it. But you couldn't beat it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very beautiful out there. White Sox win this one by a final of six to two, and there were some fireworks. I'm very jealous you got to see some fireworks. But today's ball game, Stephen, you had uh, a lot uh, to write about in this one here. Uh, Liam Hendricks picks up the win, National Cancer Survivors Day, um, and then on top of that, obviously. Uh, Jake Berger plays hero at the end of this thing, but let's just roll through this. Michael Kopech, Michael Kopech, after a brilliant stretch that he had earlier in May, uh, we were in attendance for last week's start against the Angels, and he did not have his best stuff by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, uh, the ball was leaving the fencing that was set up prior to the ball game uh, a little too much for, I think, both uh, of our likings. Stephen and uh, the White Sox were not victorious in that one. However, today it was a different story. It looked like the Michael Kopech that we were getting quite used to seeing. He goes seven innings, Stephen, uh, only gives up three hits, uh, does give up two runs. However, uh, strikes out nine. And, you know, you like to see that. And I believe he did that on around 99 pitches somewhere in that it was uh, 92. area. 92. Okay. So totally different story than what we saw from Dylan Cease in uh yesterday's ball game but uh, efficient work and you know he covered he covered those outs that you like to see here steve so any thoughts on michael kopech i think you were sitting behind home plate uh how did the stuff look i have a lot of thoughts on michael kopech here today um you know being being kind of the first or second time that i've gotten to see kopech this year obviously i was at the disaster um for the home opener there I wanted to kind of see what how the stuff was playing, especially what we've seen over these last three outings here. And that first inning, you could tell right away, the slider was very tight, very tight. And, and I, I commented on that on Twitter.com, doing a good love job. Love to see that. Oh, you, you do love it. You do. I love a good tight slider. Um, again, doing what he has been doing for – three of the last four starts going out there and getting ahead of his hitters consistently getting strike one. And if you're not getting strike one, at least getting to a one, one count, not running these two O counts with consistency, like he was doing early on in the season here. So really going out there, utilizing the fastball slider combination, really very few changeups from him today. And this is something I've been talking about a little bit over here is sprinkling in that third pitch. Uh, that was something that we didn't really see much of here today. Uh, might've just been a scenario where he may not have had the feel for it in, in the bullpen and kind of said, you know what, today has got to be a kind of old school fastball slider combination day here. And it worked. Uh, he was going out there again, just pounding the strike zone quickly and effectively. Um, even the, the home run to Spencer Torkelson in the fourth inning, 
it wasn't a terrible pitch. Um, it was, it was out, not. It was, it was not. out. It, you know, it got a little bit more of the plate than you would have liked to see, but it, it was down a little bit. Spencer Torkelson actually had to go and had to drop the bat head on that thing to get it to leave the yard there. Um, you know, and, th- and there were some people that I were seeing on Twitter.com that were a little irritated about Akil Badu, you know, dropping down a bunt, um, which, you know, was the first hit of the game for the Tigers. I mean, I don't understand that um, this was a 0-0 game in the fourth inning. The Tigers are a team that I think they're like three and a half games out of first. So they're trying to win a baseball game here. There's no reason or no justification to be upset about Akil Badu dropping down a bunt in the fourth inning of a scoreless baseball game here. Okay, It's not as if they were down eight to nothing in the ninth inning and he did that. Um, so then, you know, you get in that spot right there and uh, Torkelson then put the bat on the baseball and, and put the Tigers up two to nothing. But to his credit, then after that, Michael Kopech hunkered down the remainder of the way and kept the game where it was, giving the Sox offense an opportunity to come back and win a baseball game. They got one back immediately in the bottom half of that fourth inning, so they chipped away right there, but he kept throwing up zeros up out there, getting strikeouts, and doing his job. Going out there, being the guy that he needs to be. And he's showing the stuff right now that got us so excited a couple of years ago at various points during his tenure with the White Sox. And really, I came out of this today, again, feeling very good about what I saw from Michael Kopech. Uh, His next outing here is going to be up against the Miami Marlins, um, a team that if you actually look, they're 32-28. and They're playing pretty good baseball right now. So he's going to be stepping up in class here over his next few outings. So we need to see him continue that consistency and continue working ahead of hitters, putting himself in position to be dangerous out there on the mound. Yeah, Stephen. I mean, this, this stuff was great today. You commented on uh, a couple of things that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sort of reiterate. I thought it was awesome to see him just work over that home run and not, you know, start to get into his own head and, and, you know, give up, uh, another bomb. We saw that against uh, the Angels. Uh, he he just worked right through it. And I think, you know, when you mentioned that the the pitch to Torkelson, I, I thought the exact same thing. It was a good pitch, right spot for it. Um, you know, it was just a good piece of hitting there uh, that uh, resulted in a, a home run. So I, I don't really have anything to complain about. Uh, from Kopech's outing, it was wonderful to see him recover from what the uh, the last start result was, and I think that uh, you know onward and upward for Michael Kopech uh, just continues to look like the trajectory here. So hopefully we uh, continue to see that from him. It would be uh, a, a great uh, asset for the White Sox as we continue through this season to have him pitching uh, like an ace um, and continue to build upon. Uh, what's been a very impressive body of work so far uh, over the course of May and into June here, largely. So uh, really like that. Uh, You talked a little bit about the White Sox offense being able to chip away at this thing, and that's what they did. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, I believe, delivered there in the bottom half of the fourth. There was an immediate response. Yes, you want to see them come back and tie this ball game. Uh, right away, but they... It was actually Eloy that got that That was Eloy that one? Okay, then... uh, Yaz comes later. 
Yeah, yeah Yasmani like Grandal in in the sixth inning there uh, to tie this thing up. And Stephen, that sort of sets the table for uh, our ninth inning here. And that was uh, Liam Hendricks. Actually, Anthony, I, th- I think oh, we, yes, no, we do we need gotta, to talk about something here in the sixth inning. Here. Um, we do. We do because there need to there, there was a, there was an incident that happened um, to start off that inning. Tim Anderson leads off, hits a ground ball to Torkelson at first base, and Tim didn't run out of the box. And Torkelson bobbled it multiple times to the point where had Tim actually been fucking running, he probably beats the thing out. And why that became important was because with two outs in the inning, Robert singles, Eloy singles, Vaughn draws a walk to load the bases, and then Yaz gets the base hit to tie the game. But that would have been a second run right there that was taken off the board because of Tim's piss-poor lack of fucking effort out there. And when it happened, I had a perfect view of it, and I'm watching this thing unfold in front of me, and he's just standing there. And I literally said out to the car, are you going to fucking run? He literally just stood there and watched this thing unfold. Had he busted his ass down the line, he would have been standing on first base. The question that I have is this. If Luis Robert can be benched for doing that in the first inning of a game, why the fuck can't Tim Anderson get his ass pulled out for that? It's a great question. It's a great question. Maybe his legs were a little tired because he ran hard yesterday. Are we going to, is anybody even going to ask Tim Anderson why he didn't run that out? I didn't see anything, um, you know, post game in terms of that question being asked here, Steven, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but, uh, you know, it's, I just, I, 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 I don't feel like it will be. And you know what? He'll probably be at the top of the lineup when the White Sox head to New York to take on the Yankees in that one spot that has been his since the moment he entered into it, I don't think he's ever coming out of there. It feels like unless, you know, he's injured or he's not on this team. He's the de facto leadoff guy. You heard Pedro Grafol yesterday uh, talking about how the White Sox go as Tim goes still. Well, today, I don't think they really, you know, needed that. They overcame Tim Anderson's lack of hustle. So is that really true? Is it still the White Sox go as Tim Anderson goes? Is that still a thing, Stephen, for you? I've got a lot of questions about it. And I, for the life of me, cannot understand how Tim, for whatever the reason, is able to escape a lot of significant criticism from anybody that follows this team consistently or has direct access to this team consistently we see some of the beat writers going out there writing pieces about how oh he was rushed back too early and he's just starting to get his legs under him now and and all this and that it's been almost a year since tim anderson hit a home run i wrote about this a week ago and i had some people in my mentions making excuses for him i don't know why we're going to make these excuses for tim anderson what sets him apart from Everybody else on this roster that gets criticized. People have finally started to openly criticize 
Andrew Vaughn and his lack of power production at the first base position, myself included. Yoan Makata has been a guy that has not really ever escaped criticism from a sizable portion of this fan base. Luis Robert, in the midst of another one of his two-week stretches where he just looks completely lost to the place, I Plate. I joked about this yesterday on Twitter that they should set up the fucking eye pitch machine and literally have him go and just look at a thousand breaking balls so he can get a sense of what that spin is, what it looks like, what the movement looks like. But instead, we're just well, going to. Did you hear his comments on the eye pitch machine? Oh, oh yeah. He just wants to. He just wants to know what pitches that the pitchers have that he's just flailing over. Yeah, yes. that's that's doing. Well, how fast good. those pitches are yeah, going? He yeah, said too yeah. much information oh, yeah. is is not mm-hmm. good. So yeah. I mean that's interesting. You know when Luis Robert is hot, he's hot, and we we love to see that. When he's not, it it looks like you know you or I just go step in the box against major league pitching, and, and it's almost like it, it's almost like if he took the time. And if the organization took the time to drill into his head that, hey, this is a way to make you better so that we don't have to go through these prolonged two-week stretches where he's two for 40 with 25 strikeouts. And see, there's your Luis Robert Jr. criticism. Where is it for T.A.? Where is it? I I'd love to, if- I'd, I'd love to know. Why? Because, because he won a, a batting title? in 2019 and yeah, hit a home run a couple of years he, ago and, right and he hit, and he hit a home run in the Iowa cornfield that we that we were at so because of those things he's immune to criticism get the fuck out of here I just don't understand it I, I don't understand how he's continuously penciled in at the top of the lineup now he has raised the uh the batting average and the OPS up a little bit from a lot of the, singles yeah a lot of singles it was an abysmal, I think, 230, 240, hovering around there. He's up to 273. Uh, had two hits today. Could have had could have had three or at least reached on an error, um, put his team in a better position to win a baseball game. But, um, you know, I, I look at this one and I say the White Sox won today in spite of of that effort. Uh, he did draw a walk. Now that, now that alert. right. I now think overall he, he, put, he, he put himself – in some good positions today with uh, with a couple of hits. He, he took a, a very critical walk in this game, so I will give him credit. We'll give credit where credit's due. But overall, the, the, the echoing sentiment here from, I think, both you and I is that the, the lack of effort, the lack of enthusiasm that we've seen, just reading body language in the dugout, reading – uh, some of the Sockside Mike, remember the he hates this place comments that came out? Uh, shout out to our guy, Matt Crawford, who, you know, stirred up all sorts of things <laughs> on the Internet uh, with that video that he posted just a couple of weeks ago when he was standing at first base with Jose Abreu. There's a lot of stuff to unpack here, Steve. I don't understand really what's going on with him. Maybe he was rushed back too early. Maybe he is still feeling the effects of the knee injury, maybe still feeling effects of the wrist injury from last season that shut him down. Who the fuck knows? But whatever it is, this is not the same Tim Anderson that won a batting title by any stretch of the imagination. And no one should be continuously treating him as such until he plays at a level that he is capable of playing to. And if he's damaged goods, he's damaged goods at this point in time. And maybe you need to lower the expectations, but that also comes with consequences of higher levels of criticism 
and not being in Sharpie at the top of the fucking order every single time a lineup is rolled out here. You know, we can talk all we want about, you know, the, the 273 batting average. He's got a 320 slug. Tim Anderson was was the straw that serves as a drink. He was the guy that was, would hashtag set the tone when that slug started with a five or in the 490s because he was dangerous because you knew if you threw a cock shot on the first pitch of the game, he would go and he would hit it into the damn seats. Pitchers don't have that fear right now. So he can have his little soft opposite field singles and everything. And, and they, they look nice and sure, you know, they can be a, a part of starting a rally, but he is nowhere near the impactful presence at the top of the order that he was in years past. And for all the talk that everybody wants to have about this team still being in it, nothing is going to get resolved. Nothing is going to change their ability to make a run at this thing. is not going to change if Tim Anderson is not going to be impactful at the top of this lineup. And that's where I say, you know, you can make that change and move him down the lineup and maybe we'll we'll have some better results. But who who knows? I digress. Um, I think we can both comfortably sit here and say we're going to continue to watch this and we're going to comment on these things as we see them. I'm surprised he remained in the game. I'm happy he did because he took a walk in a crucial spot. That said, um, yeah, I, when I when I witness stuff like this, same thing that we witnessed with the Luis Robert and the and the tired legs scenario. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, there's a, a talk about this between. But him where's and the Pedro like, My whole thing is where's the consistency? There's there's not there's not, and this is it. It looks a little bit like favoritism. Steven, that's what it looks like. I'm just going to call it out. It looks yeah. like there, there's some favoritism. And guess what? That can cause issues within a clubhouse. Yeah. Accountability matters across the board. It can cause some issues in the clubhouse. It's it's easy to see some of that. And there's been plenty of, you know, things that were, if you can go and, you know, read between the lines here, um, there's been plenty of this stuff discussed out there as to whether or not Tim Anderson is going to be a part of this ball club in the, in the near future. Um, you've got national writers talking about uh, him getting shipped off and uh, playing for, you know, LA or, you know, what have you here at the trade deadline, should this thing not resolve itself? So who the hell knows what's going on, you know, in, in the, the front office talk about whether or not Tim Anderson is long for this team. But what I think it, it, this is is just it's clear that Tim Anderson has some sort of agreement that he is the leadoff guy. He is the guy that they're going to go to. And if he doesn't run one out, whatever, it doesn't matter. But a guy like Luis Robert, you know, it becomes a national spectacle that he doesn't do this. Had the White Sox lost this game, Stephen, this would have been a huge thing that I think people would be talking about. Now, granted, Jake Berger came and bailed him out, but it's still an important event that took place during the 2023 White Sox season. I agree 100%. I'm, and 
you know, I, again, the, the key thing for me is the lack of consistency. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you this question, you know, you're the owner of two humans. Um, if one of those humans perceives there to be favoritism towards the other, does that create issues in the Marchese household? Oh, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's like the number one thing that sets people off um, yeah. is, is just that, you know, somebody gets to do something and the other one wants to do it. Or if somebody gets in trouble for something, but somebody else doesn't get in trouble for this, it's a, it's a tit for tat thing. That's, that's normal amongst groups of individuals. And yes, in my household, that does become a problem. I can imagine that being a problem within the white tech clubhouse if it was not addressed appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, and there's already whispers that I've heard, um, you know, from various corners that there's a f fraction or a faction within the Sox clubhouse that doesn't particularly care for TA. And, you heard Hawk uh, Harrelson talk about this on foul territory, yeah, but at least and, allude to it. Yeah. And, and something like this is only going to add fuel to that fire mm -hmm. yeah don't like to see that don't like to see that at all good thing though the white Sox were able to come away with a victory here because that could have spiraled out of control into something that we don't like to see um i want to move on and, and and talk a little bit about liam Hendricks coming into the ninth first time that we've seen him uh get the ball in the ninth inning steven uh he's worked his way back we were there for you know his debut we talked about his usage in yesterday's ball game coming, I believe, in the sixth or seventh inning. Um, and you and I discussed that off air via some text messages in terms of bullpen usage stuff. And then today finally gets the ball in the ninth. I was surprised that he was utilized back-to-back -back days. I'm sure he wanted the ball in the tie game here today in the ninth. Um, and he got it, and he looked lights out. Exactly what you want to see from, from Liam Hendricks, Stephen. Did he his looked, stuff look good in person? Yeah, I mean, he looked like classic, classic Liam Hendricks out there. He was going out there. He had attitude. He had swagger to him. Uh, he was, you know, dropping some expletives. He doesn't like there. the Tigers. I don't think he likes the Tigers good. at all. Good. Do you remember that game? I think it was last season um, in the rain. Liam I do. Hendricks in Detroit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the, the fans were riding him a little bit. And uh, I think since then, he's got a personal vendetta against Detroit because he loves closing those ones out. Good. I like that because let me tell you something. I fucking can't stand Detroit. You know what I always say? You can't spell dumb without the D. Okay? Because that's what that fucking place is. That's a dump. All right? So anytime that the Sox can take a piss on them bastards, I'm here for it. Believe me. And Liam, he brought that intensity out there today and went out there, did his job. Three up, three down in that ninth inning. Got the boys back in the dugout, said, go win a fucking baseball game. That's what you want to see from your back end of the bullpen anchor. And that's what we got today. Yes, we did. And that was tremendous to see him uh, rise to the occasion here. Um, in its first uh, real high, high leverage situation, Steve, I, I would classify this as his, his first real test, um, you know, after coming back from the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
that was the first real test for Liam Hendricks outside of just, you know, his rehab stint and a couple of appearances um, in lower leverage situations. And, and he shined in it. And that's what you want to see. I hope that builds some momentum here. Let's talk about the bottom of the ninth. Uh, White Sox are able to end this one. Uh, and, and this is back-to-back days now. They were able to walk this off. But just the, the table setting for this is is quite interesting. You saw Pedro Grafal just basically empty his bench of players who were not in today's ball game. These are the de facto Pedro Grafal moves that we've come to know and expect and we might not love, but they're going to happen. Um, pinch hitters galore, Stephen. Uh, let's just roll through these. Uh, I believe Ben Benintendi. It all started with Noodle Boy. Ben Benintendi comes in to hit for uh, Clint Frazier, uh, and he leads that inning off with a single. Then my boy Gavin Sheets comes in. He was unable to get the job done, but Ben Benintendi was able to swipe second uh, during that at-bat. Uh, and then you saw Yoan Moncada come off the bench for Elvis Andrews, who started the game at third, which was interesting. I know that's a note that we didn't really get to, but that's sort of an interesting thing. First time uh, you, ever in his career. Yeah, you've got Jake Berger and Yoan Moncada, and Elvis Andrews is playing third base. So that was a choice that was made uh, at some point today. Uh, Andrews uh, went, I believe, Ofer uh, today. He's batting a paltry 194 on the season, Stephen. So that's not good. Um, but uh, Yoan Moncada comes up for him. He is able to walk a, a nice, nice walk there for Yoan Moncada. And then uh, the Tim Anderson spot comes up, and he's also able to work a walk, which will load the bases. Which let me inter- let's, let me interject yeah. here for a second, Anthony, my apologies. Um, we've seen this in a couple of different circumstances this year. What can happen when this team doesn't go out there and just swing just to swing at everything that comes out of the pitcher's hand? We, All of a sudden, we, they start getting on fucking base. Weird how that can fucking happen. Amazing, mm-hmm. isn't it? We saw the one game in Detroit last weekend when this team was just going out there and just flailing after slider after slider that Andrew or excuse me that Alex Lang was throwing out of the strike zone. They could not lay off a pitch if their lives depended on it. And what happens today? You have guys going up there working counts. Even Gavin Sheets when he had the strikeout, he worked it to a full count. He took pitches out of the strike zone. This has happened on a couple of occasions this year. I don't understand what it is going to take for this team to deploy this strategy with consistency. Um, my frustration and one of the things that I, is really bugging me about this team is you have Jose Castro, new hitting coach, came from the Atlanta Barves organization. Last time I checked, the most successful organization in the National League over the course of the last 30-plus years. Let me put it into context for for the listeners here. In my lifetime, in the last 32 years, since 1991, the Barbs have won six pennants. The White Sox have made the playoffs six times. Think about that for a minute, okay? So this is an organization, the, the Barbs, they are consistently a winner. 
They have a winning culture. They have a way of doing things. You look at that offense that they have down there. They are near the top of the league in terms of on-base percentage. They are near the top of the league in terms of home runs, which in the year of our Lord, 2023, you win baseball games by hitting the ball out of the ballpark, particularly with men on base. You draw a walk, maybe even draw two walks, and then you hit a three-run homer. Earl Weaver had this thing figured out in the 1970s, pitching, defense, and three-run homers. That's how you win baseball games. Why this White Sox core group cannot deploy this strategy with consistency will be one of the biggest mysteries and the biggest what-ifs of this entire quote-unquote window because this ultimately is the downfall of why they are where they are right now and why this offense is not the juggernaut that people told us they were going to be. Well, Stephen, I've got news for you. They were able to uh, deploy this strategy today in the form of a Jake Berger Grand Slam, which feels amazing, amazing because it's a a it's a walk off, but b it comes off the bat of this team's hottest hitter at home. I believe he leads the league in home home runs right now, and uh, you know the mysteries. Uh, can be solved at, at certain points in time, or maybe there's uh, clues that can uh, lead this team to deploy this more. I would, it would behoove them, as you like to say, to, uh, to deploy this more because look how fun that was when Jake Berger crossed home plate and the boys got to celebrate today. It was a lot of fun. There was excitement. There was enjoyment in there the ballpark. Fireworks. Yes. Fireworks which that is something that has largely been missing going all the way back to May 9th of a year ago. So we get these little glimpses of it right here, and all of a sudden you leave the ballpark, you feel a lot better. You look at my timeline here, there's a lot of things being retweeted of people being happy, the mood being uplifted. Yes. Some fucking baseball games play like this. Find ways to win games. And all of a sudden, the mood around here, Tim Anderson talking about fans not you know being too negative and, and all this other shit, it'll stop. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Because I remember the first half of 2021. We were having a lot of fun. So much. We were having a lot of fun. The ballpark was. The place to be. Yes. There was a palpable energy in that place. It hasn't been there very much since May 9th of a year ago. Find a way to get the excitement and the enjoyment back. Keep Walk off like grand this. slams can help. Yeah. <laughs> Walk off grand slams can help do that, Stephen. It was uh, it was a joy to watch this one. Uh, Jake Berger, man, for a guy that comes off the bench and does this, not to mention, not to mention, I know we got a comment in here, TA zero homers, Moncada barely any, uh, second base barely any, left field no homers, team has no power, and Grafol constantly benches Jake Berger. I was getting nervous about this, Stephen. Thanks, uh, Minadar, for the uh, the comment here on YouTube. 
Uh, if you're not tuned in on the YouTube, that's youtube.com slash ontapsportsnet. Go subscribe. Hop in the comments so we can feature them on the show. Steve, I was getting a little nervous about this because me and uh, me and Bradley had a nice little friendly bet that we made earlier in the week. Um, and uh, do you remember that bet? Remember oh, I remember. Made? I remember the bet. Yes. So uh, I think I just won myself some pizza hand delivered by one buzz on tap, a.k.a. Bradley Squires. There's also a rumor that he might have a special, you know, uniform that he delivers the uh, the pizza in. Yes, he said he's going to wear a, a uniform uh, with his official beggars uh, T-shirt and and maybe some some shorts to go along with it. I can't wait to film this for everybody's enjoyment. But uh, you know, I was getting nervous that uh, Jake Berger was not going to get enough plate appearances to deliver on this bet, and you know, obviously he he took Yoan Mancata, which was a terrible choice. But uh, Jake Berger delivered, so I think I'm going to have to reach out to uh, Mr. Bergatron and, and thank him for the beggar's pizza that uh, will be delivered to my house at a, a time to be determined here. Uh, i got to find some time that works on Bradley's schedule, but uh, very happy with this one. You know, it, it pays off. The, the betting streak continues here for Tony on tap. Big better um, guy, huh? Huge, huge better guy these days. Uh, just, you know, rolling and rolling in the victories. They should uh, get me on over there at the on tap bet show, uh, Joey Ricotta and, and Brandon Suarez and, and Jack Bushman. If they want some, some betting advice, I've got it. I knew how to win this one with our guy, buzz Jake Berger homers before Yohan Mancata in this series. And uh, it came in the last pitch. I mean, we waited to the last minute, Steven, I'm a last minute type of guy. And uh, I feel like I, I won this in very typical fashion of how I like to win things. Listen, it's not always about how you win it. It's just a matter of did you win it? Yeah, exactly. And we won today. Team Tony won today in, in this one. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the pizza, Stephen. Maybe I'll have you over and, and we'll, have, uh, we'll have Buzz deliver the pizza to us while we're watching. Uh, a White Sox baseball game. I think I'd like that. Yeah, I maybe I'd like can, that. We can work something like that out. I think it'd be a fantastic time, and we can enjoy some pizza uh, that that Buzz will deliver for us. So that, pizza, be maybe a couple two tree pops, you know, yeah. to to wash it down. You know, yeah, it seems like it sounds like it's going to be a good time. So uh, thank you to Buzz. Thank you to Jake Berger for getting me that pizza. I can't wait. But uh, you know, the White Sox win. Everybody's happy. Uh, it's a it's a great. Time to be alive here on the Sunday I like night. sweeps. Yeah, I like sweeps too. I like three-game winning streaks. We haven't had enough of those this season. It was a good weekend in White Sox baseball. And I know we we, we said we were going to talk about this, and I still want to get to it, um, you know, where we stand with this White Sox team. I know many are asking these questions. But uh, for all intents and purposes, this was the best weekend of White Sox baseball we've had in 2023, Stephen. I mean, it, it would have to be either either this or the weekend sweep of Kansas City um, from from a couple I of weeks ago. Really pay that much mind? Well, you know, listen. I'm looking up this. I'm looking up the standings, and and for me, a lot of people can go out there and say you should be beating Detroit, and that's true. You should be beating Detroit. You should be sweeping Detroit. But up until this point, Detroit's proven themselves to be a better ball club than the Chicago White Sox have, and so I feel like we took a step. I feel like we took at least a step here this weekend to go beat a team that, you know, you're chasing in this division. So I, I liked it. 
I think that that's, that was a little bit more enjoyable than than beating the bottom dweller, Kansas City Royals. That's that's fair. Um, and, you know, listen, in terms of my hierarchy of hate, uh, Detroit will always be higher on that level than Kansas City will be. And so I think that's a very astute point from you there, Anthony. Now it's a matter of they got to go and build on it because let me tell you, um, the level of competition is going to be ratcheted up here for the remainder of this month. You had the soft underbelly of the schedule um, to start this season off here. This is one of the things I wrote about at the start of the season was them needing to take advantage of that portion of the schedule here when you had teams like Houston and Philly that were down, that had injuries, and then you had teams like Kansas City on there and Detroit, and you don't take advantage of them. Well, the month of June, for those of you that have not looked ahead, here's how it breaks down. It's gut check you, time. It's, it, it is gut check time here. And it's, it's going to be a gut check because you get a day off tomorrow. You get on the plane, and then you got to go to New York and face the New York Yankees for three out there. Now, there's a chance Aaron Judge, according to some media reports, might be finding his way onto the injured list here. So you may be dodging a bullet with that one. You're going to miss Garrett Cole. You're not going to see Carlos Rodon. So if there was a time to get the Yankees, and I know they've been playing pretty well here, over the last uh, couple of weeks, Judge in particular has hit like 13 home runs himself over the course of the last month. So if he misses the series, I won't be upset about it. So you got that. And then you come home for a brief three-game set against the Miami Marlins, who are playing pretty good baseball right now. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily paying a lot of attention to them in that NL East, but they're sitting in second place right now at 32 and 28. They're playing some pretty good ball overall, and they're doing that with you know Sandy Alcantara, the guy that is really their best pitcher, not off to a particularly great start this year. This is a guy that was coming, um, you know, off of a Cy Young Award from a year ago, and he's not been the same guy here since the first two months of the season. Uh, Sox are probably going to see him on Saturday of next week. So you got that. Then you get another day off next Monday. You go out to L.A. for three against the Dodgers. So it's going to dial up real quick. You leave there. You go to Seattle for three. Playoff team from a year ago. Uh, they're in the midst of a tough stretch right now. They're below 500, but there's a lot of talent on that ball club. Oh, you come home then. You get the first place Texas Rangers, who I believe as of right now have the second best record in the American League. Um, you know, a lot of people were making jokes a year ago about them spending a lot of money for Corey Seager, uh, Marcus Simeon, John Gray, and then you Is see there an uh, ownership change that took place a couple mm -hmm. of uh, seasons ago down there, or a GM I, change. There's been, I mean, there was a GM change um, with John Daniels be, being out there, but uh, you know, the I believe Ray Davis, I mean, has owned that team for. For several years now. Okay, it was it was a GM change. Yeah, yeah, John, yeah, John, John Daniels no longer no longer in charge there. So you got them when when you come home at the end of the month, you get another day off, and then you get the Ginger Sox, who are actually playing a lot better than I think a lot of other people anticipated. You close the month out, then you got to fly back out west to California, and you get four 
against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County of California of the Pacific time zone, who made you look pretty bad this past week. And the Sox never really play very well out there. So this and month, I believe you got some time in Oakland as well, which has been a house of horrors. It has been Chicago White Sox. It, it has been it just as bad as the Oakland A's have been. We know better on this yeah. broadcast than to chalk those up as guaranteed victories as most other teams do. So yeah, it is. It it largely is gut check time here, Stephen, and it's going to be a real test. This this will be determined for your Chicago White Sox here. I think over the next month, because you're going to be heading into July, you got the trade deadline. It's going to be the all-star break. You've got all these important dates coming in July and August. So they really need to prove themselves over this next stretch of baseball. And it starts in New York and the White Sox and Yankees. They've had their thing over the years. I don't think that the White Sox are, are going to be counted out of these, at least coming off of this sweep and, and talking about, um, what you're avoiding with the Yankees, but we've got just starting pitchers here. It's going to be Giolito. It's going to be Lance Lynn. It's going to be Mike Clevenger. And I'm just looking at this series right now, Steven, if Lucas Giolito can go out there and pitch the way he's pitched most of this year, I think we've got a good chance in game one game two, Lance Lynn. I'm very fucking nervous about. I'm very fucking nervous about that one, especially with the bashers that they have in that lineup and Lance Lynn serving up what he served up over the course of this season so far. I don't know if we're going to be able to get that one. And then it's going to be a toss-up in game three with uh, Mr. Mike Clevenger. I, I liked what he did against Detroit, but uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous because it looks like they're going to be throwing Severino against the Chicago White Sox. And I'm just looking at this. I don't think we've fared fairly, fairly well against him in the past. Have we Steven? No, they, they have not historically. So, um, you know, those back two games of this series are very concerning. So there's no question about that. So uh, this is where they really need Lucas Giolito to step up and take the bull by the horns and go out there and shove in this first game and set the tone for the series right there and get this team a fourth consecutive win, something that they haven't been able to do at any point this season here. So if there ever was a time to do it, this would be it. I wholeheartedly agree with this. I mean, game one's your best chance to get one out of here. Um, you know, the Yankees are a far more complete baseball team than the Chicago White Sox at this point. If you can avoid Aaron Judge, that's that's a gift here. But there's plenty of guys in this Yankee lineup who can do some damage against you. And so it's going to be very crucial, in my opinion, for uh, Lucas Giolito to pitch his best ball game of this season so far in Yankee Stadium on Tuesday night, Stephen. I agree with you, Anthony. And that's where he's going to go out there. And like I talk about all the time, pound the strike zone. The Yankees hitters, they have an approach that is really the complete antithesis of our Chicago White Sox. They will go out there and they will wait the pitcher out. They will do that until the pitcher is just mentally and physically exhausted, and then they will pounce. And that's how they work up pitch counts consistently. That's a big part of how Yankee games have honestly not been very aesthetically pleasing to watch for much of the last 25 years 
and part of the reason why they used to take four, four and a half hours um, a night, but it's a winning formula. So Giolito, go out Very there, so. pound the strike zone, command both sides of the plate. You cannot fall behind these hitters with consistency. That is a band box over there. You have to pitch ahead. You have to limit the hitters counts that you are giving those Yankee hitters and you cannot issue free passes because you do that in that ballpark with that short porch in right field, you're setting yourself for, for danger with the two and three run Homer. You absolutely are. And that's what we want to avoid uh, taking place, Steven. So we kind of previewed what the uh, month ahead looks like here. Um, we'll, we'll give our picks to click and stuff as we, shut this thing down, but we started a conversation as we enter some of the more Sunday fun day topics here on the show, Steve, we started a conversation before about, you know, where we think this team is going to be. I cut you off on a thought because I wanted to save it for this portion. Uh, and then we've got an announcement about an interview that Steven and I, uh, had done, uh, with a very special guest on the show that will be released tomorrow. We'll tell you about that. Uh, as soon as we wrap this little segment up, and get on out of here. But Steven, where are you at? It's uh, temperature check time on the Chicago White Sox 2023 season coming off of this sweep. Um, you know, you're five and a half back, I believe right now. Um, I'll give you the floor here and we can sort of discuss this um, as the, our Sunday fun day topic on the show here. I still don't feel good. You can have the sweep. Again, it's against a Detroit Tigers team that, while ahead of you in the standings, they're not a good baseball team. This division flat out sucks. They've been begging the White Sox to take this thing, and they haven't done it. They failed to take advantage of a soft portion of the schedule to begin the year. What needed to happen was they needed to insulate themselves and build themselves a cushion heading into this brutal month of June schedule here. They failed to do it. They're nine games below 500. I'm not talking about how many games back they are because it doesn't matter. When you're nine games below 500, the number of games back does not matter. You're not going to convince me of, of that at the end of the day. Still, no team has ever won a division title below 500. So until you get above that high, above that mark, there is no discussion about the number of games back, period, end of discussion. Um, so I'm just very annoyed by how many games this team gave away the first two months of the season that were winnable baseball games that has ultimately caused them to be in the spot that they are, where it feels like this is a little bit of a death march here. And you go into this brutal stretch that is directly ahead of them, and they have to play really sound baseball. Because if you come out of this and you're, you know, another three or four games under 500, and the calendar flips to July 1st, and you're 12, 13 games under 500, it it would take a historic level comeback. I mean, I think you would have you'd have to do something like a 2007 Colorado Rockies type comeback, and things like that just don't happen very often. 
You can find isolated incidents of it, but at the end of the day, the number of times that that sort of thing happens is very rare. It's an outlier. So my frustration at the end of the day just really stems from the piss poor play during the month of April, because if they wouldn't have done that, the tone of this discussion that we're having right now is a lot different. Yeah, no, I, it, they can't be, you know, completely forgiven and we can't wash away the 10 game losing streak by any stretch of the imagination here. I mean, it's going to be a talking point throughout the remainder of this season, regardless if they're able to turn it around um, and put themselves in a, a, a striking distance of the AL central, or, you know, if they flounder, uh, I think we can all point back to the damage being done early on in this season. I still like to hold out some hope because you do still have some time against the AL central opponents to make up some ground. I think they did what they needed to do in this series. They did what they needed to do against Kansas city. Again, we had this discussion uh, in prior seasons as to why it's important to to beat up on your division uh, when you get the chance to, I think it's even more important this year with the, uh, the more balanced schedule that we've got. Uh, so you've got less opportunity to, uh, to hammer those home and, and some wasted opportunities in seasons prior. I think they played the central fairly well. The real test though, comes out against teams that are in primarily in the AL East um, and against the, the Texas Rangers uh, as well, who we're going to see here and just see how this response is. I think, overwhelmingly White Sox fans are going to be nervous going into these just because of what we witnessed against some of these upper echelon teams or teams not in the AL Central. So there's enough cause for concern. I I, I cannot sit here and say that, uh, you know, I fully believe that we're going to go in there and uh, handle business the way that it needs to be handled to get ourselves back in these things. However, I think you've got a couple of guys in this lineup if they're deployed correctly, guys like Jake Berger, Stephen, we talk about this. Um, just a bit earlier, but there's guys in this lineup who are pure hitters who are getting the job done uh, and doing things uh, that uh, lend to wins uh, for the Chicago White Sox. Let's just hope that they're used properly and th those bats stay hot. The other thing, you're going to have to stay healthy through this. This is where I'm at with it too. You're going to have to stay healthy with it. There is no rotational depth. We made it through a Mike Clevenger injury on the back of Jesse Schulten's and, you know, we even wasted some ball games there with Schultons on the mound. I'm I'm very concerned about the rotational depth this team has. I'm very concerned about, um, you know, some of the back end of the bullpen depth. If you've got a guy like Joe Kelly or Kendall Graveman who wind up uh, on the IL for any lengthy period of time, Stephen thinks can get sort of out of whack again. It feels weird to be here when we've got most of the team healthy. I'm conditioned to think – it's just a matter of time before somebody else goes down again. So I'm a little nervous. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think that's pretty well said there. Um, staying healthy has not been this group's strong suit. No, not at all. The last three seasons. So to expect them to do that, and I've had people – talking to me about this you know i remember at the beginning of the month of may people told me oh you know they're going to be healthy soon they got a soft spot in the schedule they didn't make enough of a dent with that softer schedule during the month of may and 
for all the talk about them being healthy, um, they haven't proven for the course of the last three years that they can stay healthy and keep everyone on the field to be impactful. So I'm skeptical. Steven this. is a non-believer, and he's talking to you, Sal. That's where we're at at this point. He's a non-believer uh, and remains firmly planted in that camp. Um, that said, though, it's been better baseball than what we witnessed in April, and I'm I'm happy for that. I'm I'm very happy for that. I don't know about you. I hope you are. Um, but April uh, was one of the ugliest months of baseball I remember in my life. It was honestly. a real rock bottom feeling to be honest with you, to, to have to live through that and talk about it on this show. Um, I'm just happy we're talking about sweeps and, and grand slams today. Cause that's a lot cooler and tougher than uh, talking about lame and weak losses, Steven. I concur, Anthony. I concur. Yes. So Steve, we've got uh, an announcement to make about a really cool episode that we'll be releasing. I'll give you the floor for that. We'll give our picks to click in just a moment for Tuesday's ball game, and then we'll ride on off into uh, the sunset here on the Sunday fun day edition of Socks on Tap. Stephen, why don't you let the listeners know what to expect uh, on the uh, on the Socks on Tap podcast uh, coming out tomorrow? Yeah, so for everybody that utilizes social media, I think specifically twitter.com um there was a fascinating and really tremendously done documentary a three-part youtube series entitled last comiskey that chronicled the team's final season in 1990 at the baseball palace of the world the original comiskey park and a team in 1990 that really in some ways had parallels to what you saw from the 2020 team, uh, a team that had a highly regarded farm system, thanks to four first round draft picks, making it to the major leagues and being impactful and a team kind of coming out of nowhere to challenge the vaunted world champion Oakland A's and sending off the baseball palace of the world in a rightful manner to to a certain extent um giving fans a memorable competitive summer ultimately they fell short of being able to win the american league west that year and dethroning the oakland a's but they gave a lot of great lasting memories for older fans uh that spent a lot of time in that ballpark and we're going to be very fortunate enough to have the creator and director of the last Comiskey documentary joining us here tomorrow to talk about his experience of putting together the three-part series, a lot of the interview work that went into it, kind of the inspiration behind it. And it's really just a, a fascinating look back at the ballpark that really was an integral part for the lives and, and the summers of a lot of White Sox fans, um, certainly of older generations, but um, it's, a great retrospective here and uh, going to be a really fascinating look. And uh, I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. Absolutely. It was uh, wonderful to get to chat with uh, Matt from last Comiskey. Uh, be on the lookout for that. It will be available in podcast form uh, wherever you get your podcasts, but be sure to tune into that. Um, just a lot of great insights 
on how this documentary was created, how it came to be. And then uh, I encourage everybody, if you haven't watched Last Comiskey available on YouTube, go and check that out as well. Uh, we will be releasing that, like I said, uh, tomorrow uh, on Monday. Uh, great listening for the White Sox off day before this team heads out to New York. Steven, we've got to give our picks to click. You got a player in mind uh, on Tuesday that's going to get the job done. You know, Yankee Stadium, Mickey Mouse dimensions down the uh, first baseline there, short porch in right field. Maybe, just maybe, Tuesday with it being a homecoming for Noodle Boy. Stole mine. Maybe he finds a way and gets a Mickey Mouse home run just to get off the schneid. You you stole mine, but uh, I, I might just double down with you. I think that's sort of against the rules, though. So I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Eloy Jimenez. He he likes to play in these uh, bigger ballparks with a lot of fans and the fanfare. And uh, I'm going to go with Eloy Jimenez. Then, if you're taking uh, Andrew Benintendi, I will go Eloy Jimenez. Maybe they'll both leave the yard. Maybe we'll be we'll be on this show talking about how we both hit pick to click. You know, I Eloy think you've got a. You've got Eloy's got, Eloy's got that right. good. He's got that good power oppo, and, and he likes to go that way with stuff. So, I I wouldn't uh, rule him out from uh, doing that this coming just, Tuesday. Just maybe, just maybe. We'll see what the rest of the crew uh, selects on Tuesday. Stephen, this was a wonderful Sunday Fun Day episode of Socks on Tap. It's always better when we're talking about wins. There's victory beers flowing. Uh, any final thoughts you have on this Sunday evening? Keep the momentum going. Stay hot. Prove me wrong. I want it. I'm here for it. Yeah, I want to get to the point where uh, Steve has to answer Sal's question in a, in a serious manner. I, I would really love to see that. So Sal wants me to say the word. He yeah. wants – listen, I want to say the word. I want to go and I want to have to issue a public statement using that word. But yeah. I cannot use that word until they get back to 500. Okay. Well, there's a long way to go to get there. I mean, it's going to be a tough road. As, uh, you know, I believe ACDC once told us, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Um, Steven, that's all I've got for today. I don't know about you, but, uh, we can close this thing down how we always do before we do that. Thank you to everybody who tuned in, everybody who hopped in the comments. We love seeing them pop up in here and we can try and feature as many as we can on the broadcast. Make sure you're subscribing. That's youtube.com slash on tap sports net. So, you know, when we go live, follow the show at socks on tap on Twitter. You can follow Steve at NWI underscore Steve, myself at Tony on tap. Thank you for spending your Sunday night with us here at the Socks on tap Sunday, fun day slash post game show. We'll be back on Tuesday to talk about the white Sox and Yankees. And as we mentioned before, be sure you check out our interview with the creator of last Comiskey. That'll be available wherever you find podcasts tomorrow, Steven white Sox forever white Sox for life.